The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to have you with us, as always. Glad to be working alongside Nathan Miller, our producer at the board. Today, you get to meet author Fred Carlisle. I've been looking forward to this interview. His book, The Lake Effect, A Lake Michigan Mosaic, is grounded in his personal experiences, yes, but the book also addresses wider considerations, including the aesthetic, emotional, historic, economic, and the social effects of Lake Michigan. The book captures the lakes, Lake Michigan's mesmerizing beauty, be it summer or winter, all four seasons. In fact, Lake Michigan is a mosaic and a wonder. We're going to hear more about it from Fred Carlisle himself. This is American Road Trip Talk, and we'll have the interview right after this. Searching for your next getaway, everybody? Ridgeland is ready for you with fresh air and friendly people. Just off the scenic Natchez Trace Parkway in central Mississippi, it's easy to fall for Ridgeland's outdoor offerings, premier shopping, and hospitable hotels. Whether you're here for a -a one-of-a-kind event or a relaxing refuge, you'll never run out of ways to explore Ridgeland's perfect combination of urban amenities and boutique charm. Plan your trip at visitridgeland.com. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, Alert Drops will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you are studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get Alert Drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe. You've probably heard of Fargo, North Dakota, but we'll bet it's different from what you expected. Add Fargo to your bucket list this fall and find bold autumn colors along the Red River of the North, cow print, and Mario Brothers-themed murals the world's largest dilly bar, and of course, the nicest people you've ever met. Experience North, that is North of Normal. Talk radio that will get you thinking. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk. We're going to meet Fred Carlisle, a man who lived in Michigan for 20 years, raising a young family and teaching at Michigan State University. Go Spartans! He enjoyed a long academic career as a professor of English and then as a university provost at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. His fascination with Lake Michigan began when he was all of two years old. Fred grew up in Ohio and has also lived in Florida and rural Virginia. He now lives in Virginia with his wife, Beth, in the mountains. How interesting. What what a uh, trajectory of life. Fred Carlisle has had. So let's meet the man. Fred, we're delighted to have you with us today on American Road Trip Talk. Thank you, Gary. I'm glad to be here. It's a pleasure. 
I don't know that I've ever done this before, Fred, but I'm going to quote from your book. It won't take long, but it's so telling. And here's the quote. Neither an Ishmael nor a Melville I am. However, I remain one of those impelled waterward, transfixed by the magic of water. We seek the calm, the peace, the happiness of being near water. Fred, beautiful words, beautiful sentiment. And it seems to me there is an elemental kind of affinity that goes into the expression. Your words there indicate that water means more to you than a place to get wet. Oh, that's right. I think there's interestingly enough, I read uh, in order to write this book, a book called The Blue Mind. And what it suggests is that water for all of us makes us more comfortable, at ease, peaceful. And so there's something, as your word, elemental about water and the way we are enchanted by it. Of course, there's the other side of water, which helps explain some somewhat the title word mosaic. Water can also be a threat. It can be destructive. It can be a kind of enemy. As when uh, high water on Lake Michigan, for example, erodes dunes and destroys houses, or when it causes shipwrecks and so on. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating, but it is elemental. And of course, we depend on water uh, for our lives. No doubt about that. Fred, I can remember, and I think to, to each his own when it comes to the place where we sort of get an element like water in our DNA, I can remember being about seven years old, as I recall, and my dad took me into the chilly waters of Lake Merced, and uh, it was actually not a lake, I'm sorry, it was Merced River, out in Yosemite National Park, within the boundaries of the National Park. And there we were at Yosemite, Merced River. I remember it being so chilly, and I thought, wow, this is an opportunity for me, however I would have expressed it at age seven, to be here in this element of water, to have this rushing through and the people are enjoying it. It was a thrill. And there's a photo inside your wonderful book, and it's part of the mosaic. Part of the lake effect. You were about two years old and you're there walking with your dad and you made sure to include that. The thrill of it all is right there on your face. <laughs> Good. Good. Yes. Well, that's it. That's it. That picture. Uh, Freddie standing ankle deep on the beach in Lake Michigan at two years old. That's right. Deep, so we conquer our bodies of water a few inches at a time. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I, I love the format. I did want to say something about this. I love reading your book because as a mosaic, the lake effect actually is a compilation of essays and stories. Why did you choose? I think I understand why, but let's hear from the man himself. Fred, why did you choose to write the book in the manner that you did? Well, I guess, Gary, in a way, that's the way it came to me. It didn't seem to me that I could write a, and I didn't want to write a straightforward narrative about my life to make it simply autobiographical, but I wanted to draw on all the functions and features of Lake Michigan. And in a way, that particular approach uh, is in itself a mosaic. The many different pieces that come together, and if I've worked it out into a whole, uh, and Lake Michigan, as diverse and varied as it is, is Lake Michigan, the whole thing. It's all there at once for us. But then we experience it in very different ways. 
we experience it in different ways because of the availability of those opportunities, beginning with the recreational. Right. It's an exploration that one that could uh, fill up a lifetime in a manner of speaking. But there are special places, and I want for our listeners to understand that when they hear or see Lake Michigan, as I first did, I'm standing in Chicago, the the hub of of commerce, the engine of the Midwest, the the mighty Midway. And that's one way to do it. But you also write lovingly, I would say nostalgically, Fred, about a place called Ogden Dunes. I've never heard of it, but now I feel like I know it a lot better, despite (laughs) the fact that it too transforms like the lake itself over the years, over the generations. And you write about Ogden Dunes. Let's get into your experience of that because it's still with you, I can tell. My grandparents owned property on the southern rim of Lake Michigan which is where Ogden Dunes is. My grandfather was a mill superintendent with U.S. Steel, uh, and his son, as a parenthetical comment, was in Great Lakes shipping throughout his whole professional life. And so I knew the lakes in that sense. But Ogden Dunes is the place where that photograph was taken. It's the place, the first impression, you know? And we went back over the years until, I guess I was a young teenager when, We stopped, well, my my grandfather retired and moved, where else? To Florida. So uh, that initial enchantment, and as I suggested at a certain point early in the book, that's a kind of primal experience. And as so many primal experiences do, they do, they stay with us because they have shaped us in some way. They've, They've formed who we are and what we care about. And you never get over them. No, you don't. No matter how long you have lived. I'm a boomer. There, I've been to a lot of places, and there are some that stand out to me in a unique way. I wonder what it's like for you, just, just in a moment. They're comparatively speaking. You and your wonderful wife live in Virginia in the mountains, pretty fur piece from Lake Michigan. That's and right. I feel, you know, in a sense, and I think I'm uh, borrowing from a river runs through it, the idea that these waters can haunt you. Well, they stay with you, but think about the mountains. And there's a little piece at the beginning of the first uh, short piece on water. You know, I have five separate pieces about water. And there I'm talking about the enchantment of a a creek running down a mountainside, of a pond with the sun shining on it, of clouds drifting across, casting shadows on it. And so there are Creeks, branches, that's what they call creeks here, ponds, all in the mountains or near the mountains. So uh, it's not just that vast expanse of Lake Michigan, which is the water that can enchant or make us calmer, more comfortable, but it's water in so many different respects. And so there are all of these places around Lake Michigan, which over the years, inevitably, I'm sure, developed. It it feels to me, uh, because I haven't been to that much of the lake. I mean, I've seen it. I've looked at Lake Michigan, high up in the Hancock Tower, in the restaurant, looking out at the beauty of Lake Michigan. When the Blue Angels suddenly flew by, I didn't even know they were in town. (laughs) That was a religious experience. Yes, I bet. (laughs) bet. Well, if you think about, Gary, if you think about Ogden Dunes, let's go back to that. When I first used to go there or was taken there. There were a few houses scattered along the front dune. 
there were people, but not many people on the beach. If you go to Ogden Dunes now, you will find hardly an empty lot along the front dune where those few houses were scattered before. You'll find a line of houses, many with lawns and landscaping. You'll find a paved road. Uh, you'll find a small town of probably 12 to 1500 people. Whereas in my early life, there might've been a few hundred people living there. And so Ogden Dunes in that sense represents the way development has occurred all around Lake Michigan and the Great Lakes generally uh, that uh, has led to so much change and to some extent to some pollution. And if you think about Ogden Dunes as the the effects of high water, you know, the lakes of, over in 2019, 2020 had risen to a level way above average and almost to record highs. And people were losing beaches in Ogden Dunes. People were worried in Ogden Dunes that their houses might be damaged, that they might even fall into the lake. There's a picture in my book of a house that had slid down a dune because high water had eroded the dune and undermined the house itself. So it just collapsed and slid down the dune almost into the lake. It puts me in mind, as I get a, a little bit philosophical, Fred, this idea that do what we will to and with Mother Nature. It's not like there's no blowback. We can't do the things we do to our You're environment right. free of the casualties of our own errors. You're right. You're right. Well, uh, I have a piece or two in there about the way invasive species have come into the lake and have seriously damaged uh, the food chain, have depleted, if not almost destroyed at certain points, uh, the fishery, the native fish uh, in Lake Michigan. And we have done that, not that we have seeded these mussels and sea lampreys and other kinds of invasive species into the lake ourselves, but by building the St. Lawrence Seaway, and then the Welland Canal, which enables ocean-going ships to get into the Great Lakes, we have brought those foreign species into the lakes. And when those freighters would dump ballast water, they would also dump into the Great Lakes those very invasive species. So that's human activity. And of course, there's the various forms of pollution, agricultural, industrial, uh, all those that come from development along the lake shore. There's something in one of the books that I use that suggests that only about five, I think, this may be an exaggeration. If so, I'm sorry. Only about five or 6% of the original way Lake Michigan was continues because so much has been changed with, with development. And along that southern rim of the lake, U.S. Steel built this huge plant, which had negative effects on, on the lake itself. So, yes, we've done a lot of damage. We profit from it. We enjoy it. We haven't yet destroyed it. It still, still eludes us. We can't quite control it, even though we try. Well, Fred, I must tell you that uh, in the state where I live, Florida, 
We actually, we've taken care of all those invasive species. We have our wonderful master plans for dealing with all that quite well, I'm sure, he said facetiously. <laughs> I mean, you can just, we have so many pythons around Florida now, you can almost train yeah, them we, go well, get your, yeah, yeah, go out and get Four or five years you. ago, four or five years ago when we were down there, I mean, I lived in Florida for about 10 years. Uh, when we were down there, uh, uh, we realized that about 90% of the small mammal population in the Everglades had been decimated by those thousands and thousands of pythons. Yes. And we're not doing very well down there with the manatees either. No, and that's very near and dear to the hearts of people. I live in Sarasota, and around here we have the Moat Marine Aquarium where uh, caring for the manatees is a top priority. And that good. leads me to ask you, Freddie, I mean, it's a very good thing that we're doing this. You feel like you're fighting an uphill battle. We don't have many hills in Florida, but it's like an uphill battle. In the case of Lake Michigan, to your awareness, are there master plans for the future so that we don't destroy this gorgeous, vast jewel in the Midwest? Well, there have been, and there's a pattern, and I can't cite the details right now, but I had a sense as I was tracing through the decades and the history of this, that there'd be one attack, uh, the alewives, for example, uh, multiplied in the mid-60s to such a great extent the lake could no longer support them. They died off. They littered the beaches for 300 miles, made it impossible to go to the beaches. The solution was to bring in salmon. That was great, and that solved that problem, but there were others. So that kind of solution, problem, solution, problem. And I think people keep trying to manage and control uh, the Great Lakes uh, or Lake Michigan. Uh, but to my mind at this point, it's not clear that we will bring some kind of stability to it. It will no longer, if, ever, if it ever was, be the lake of my youth. but. The hope is that somehow it can be stabilized so people can enjoy it, so the fishery will be productive and so on. But I'm not sure. I really don't know. I don't think any of us do. Right. And that makes me wonder about the 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 proximity, in fact, being on the lake, a city like Chicago. You have another city about which you write in some detail. I've, I found that compelling reading, Fred. When you were uh, discussing Chicago, yes, and there are, you have some wonderful pictures and posters there to advertise Lake Michigan, and its connection with Chicago is obvious enough. But what about a place that is a lot more perplexing to a lot of us? Gary, Indiana, for example, because the Gary, Indiana of your youth is not probably never again going to come back, quite frankly, but there are people working on that. They want to bring out the best of Gary, Indiana, instead of writing the city off, it seems to me. And you cover that very well in your book. Well, I think that's true. And again, it's the way the changes in technology, manufacturing, uh, that caused decline in industry and therefore decline in job opportunities and the way many cities were transformed and in serious, severe decline for a period of time. Uh, and I think Gary is attempting a real comeback. My sense is, in this little book I was reading, classes Detroit in the same class of, De of, of Gary, but Detroit, it seems to me, is further along toward turning things around, toward rebuilding itself and becoming a new city. It's not just that there's a new Tiger Stadium, but the whole place. 
uh, is beginning to revive. Uh, again, who knows where all this will end up because they can't be what they once were. Uh, U.S. Steel once employed, and that's the Gary works, once employed, I think, 25 to 30 to 30,000 people at the height. And I think it now employs somewhere around 5,000, 6,000. So that is a number, and those are close, if not exact. That is a number which suggests to me how radically different the situation uh, is. And of course, the African-American population now dominates the city. Uh, and as in so many cities, is working very hard to remake and rebuild and transform Gary or Detroit into a new Gary or new Detroit. And I think Detroit is probably uh, a case study of some that's somewhat further along. I see it the same way. And, and thank goodness for a conscious renaissance. If you have yes. a clear enough picture of what you want, you stand a much better chance of attaining it. And I think that is a lot of the energy, the motive force behind the urban efforts in Gary and in big Detroit. There, uh, There's just so much to be hoped for there. And you are sounding a hopeful note. Fred, in addition to that, please tell us about some of your favorite places. Let's say, hey, let's go see Lake Michigan. You know, whether you're in Michigan, you're traveling to the Midwest. When you go there, what are the places that stand out today in 2022 where people might want to go to take in as much as they can in a short period of time of this wonderful mosaic? Well, there's a long piece in my book about Traverse City and that whole area of the there's the Leelanau Peninsula, there's a Grand Traverse Bay, which has a west and east bay. That bay is divided by the old Mission Peninsula. So if you want simply a lake experience, it's there because the beaches are wonderful. Uh, Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore is a marvel. When, when Beth, my wife, first saw that, she was standing on top of a 400-foot dune looking down a very sharp incline uh, to Lake, Lake Michigan. So that in itself is spectacular. If you're interested in wineries, uh, there are probably on the, on the Leelanau Peninsula alone, which is the peninsula that divides the Big Lake from West Bay and Grand Traverse, there are probably 25 wineries on Leelanau, many of them award-winning. Uh, then there's always Mackinac Island, if you, maybe an hour, an hour and a half further north. Uh, and that draws thousands and thousands of visitors every summer. Uh, and you can go and be a, only a tourist and go to the fudge shops, the t-shirt shops and so forth. <laughs> or you can go up to the, to the fort and the oldest building in Michigan is one that was built at that fort in 1806. And it's, Mackinac was very much involved in the whole French-British-American struggle through several centuries. And so if you go to the fort and really think about history, that puts you back several centuries in, in time to that, that, that struggle. And uh, there's also a very strong Native American history in that part uh, as well. So whether it's restaurants, whether it's wineries, whether it's the lake, whether it's the beach, uh, 
it's all there. It's a great place to go. It is a great place to go. We've touched on it during our short time together. Lake Michigan, it is a mosaic. You describe it very well. Your book Thank is you. the, the Lake Effect, a Lake Michigan Mosaic, Essays and Stories by Fred Carlisle. It was our pleasure to meet you, Fred. I hope that we will run into each other on air, if not in person, sometime soon. That'd be a pleasure, maybe even on a golf beach in Florida. That's oh, that would be wonderful too. <laughs> do you have a website, sir? Uh, I do. It's efredcarlisle.com. Fantastic. Fred Carlisle, thanks so much. It was a pleasure to meet you today. Have yourself a wonderful holiday season as well, Fred. Thank you, Gary, and you as well. Goodbye. We will be back with a preview of next week's show right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. I wouldn't tell everybody, you know, I was in South Carolina recently and I'm kicking myself because I didn't make it to Aiken and I'm going to have to make a note to do that. South Carolina has so much to offer, but how about Aiken, South Carolina? It's a small Southern town built on equestrian traditions, sporting fun, outdoor pursuits galore. Located in Western South Carolina, just 20 miles from the Georgia state line, Aiken has many unique activities to cater to each kind of visitor's needs. Welcome to Aiken, South Carolina. Welcome to the Sporting South. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. We're so happy that you joined us today. Next week, we're going to talk about all those scary Halloween places with the Halloween correspondent. He covers a lot of things for us, actually. Matt Shea will join us, and we're going to talk about the industry of creating places where if you live through the scary experiences, you've got stories to tell. That's next week on American Road Trip Talk. Thanks for tuning in, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, dream well and drive safely on the American Road. <laughs> <laughs>